0: Good morning. If you turn to Psalm 42, and please stand for the reading of God's word. Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night while men say to me all day long, where's your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my savior and my God. Why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God.
1: I always feel, especially at home, here. Uh, I think I know more people at this church than the church I attend now and (laughs) the church I attended previous to the one I attend. Um, (coughs) So it's great to be here. And then to have Sophia up here leading with her company. Um, Sophia went to the university I teach at, Viola, and we were frequently up here. She was doing music, not up here, but there. uh, Frequently doing music, and I was teaching, and just that makes me feel... And I do, th- uh, thanks Christina for that um, prayer for men and, and for just even the preamble of bringing our whole self to God. So um, Romans 12, 1 and 2, Paul gives a very concise definition of worship. Um, he, he says this, present yourselves to God as living sacrifices, for this is your spiritual service of worship. Present yourself to God. This is worship. Yeah, very simple. It's great when it involves music. doesn't have to. Every place we go and just say, Lord, here I am. I come in whatever state I'm in, um, highs or lows. So the very fact that you've walked in today and sat down, you've already engaged in worship. Your hearts may be catching up because there's a lot in your minds, but you've presented your bodies as living sacrifices. I just want to extend that a little bit as we begin, so... Um, so you just pray with me, so, I want you to breathe first, sometimes in the rush getting here, um, well, you know, it's a rush, and, uh, nothing magical about breathing, really, it just sometimes God speaks at a lower RPM, yeah, 33 and a third, maybe, for those of you who remember turntables, right, um, See, I I like to breathe into the count of four. I won't count it for you, but just take a few breaths as you bring your bodies down to a place where you can receive what God may have for you today. And I want you to kind of uh, choose a word for God, your word for God, from among the scriptural options, right? There's many, obviously God, Abba, Jesus, Emmanuel, Savior, Spirit, Father. Um, Don't overthink it, just choose one that you tend to use a lot. And as you continue to breathe on the inhale, on the exhale, just, you know, silently in your heart, just speak his name because he's here this morning. And you're not presenting yourself to me, you're presenting yourself to God this morning. And so it's not a mantra, it's, a, it's an address. Uh, so you know, take four beats on the inhale and on the exhale just speak God's name to God who is here and present yourself simply by the speaking of his name in your heart. Do that a few cycles. Well, Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord. Amen. So I want to talk a little bit this morning about troubles and trials and difficulties. Aren't you glad you came to church, right? Yeah. Um, but I want to begin with uh, um, a little slide here. Oh, there's the happy family from many years ago. Um, there, the girls now are 25 and 28, so you can figure out maybe roughly how many years ago. But we were on a trip to Alaska <coughs> uh, together. We don't travel great as a family, so I don't have a lot of family pics from travels, but um, <laughs> everybody's too particular about what they want. Uh, but yeah, this was a good trip. And, um, and we're on a little boat here, a glacier, you know, uh, looking for glaciers. And... Um, and it was great, and, but I noticed after we took the picture, something in the background there, and I'll get a better picture of it here, right over the back of their heads, this, this thing in the glacier. And I, I said to the guide, I said, what is that? And she goes, well, that's a portal. Which, of course, begged the question, what's a portal? <laughs> um, and here's another pic of it, right? Um, She says, well, what happens in a glacier sometimes is kind of, the this is summertime, so the natural melt that occurs uh, inside it, it looks very sturdy on the outside, right? But the natural melt that occurs inside, it kind of, the water goes inside and mixes with the dirt that may be down there. Um, And at some point, the pressure is so great that it just blows a portal. (laughs) It's got to get out, and it just flows out of there. And I remember, of course, being the teacher that I am, there's a metaphor here for something. Um, and it didn't take me long to, to find it. Uh, um, you know, the, the metaphor, I think, is captured in Proverbs 4.23. Watch over your heart, uh, some, in some translations, with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. Watch over your heart. Know it's in your heart. Because your life is just going to flow from it, for good or for ill. Your heart is just going to lead you. Um, it's kind of like we are ourselves a kind of iceberg or glacier, strong, strong uh, ice theme for me today. Um, and you know, we, we, the, the stuff above the uh, waterline is what people see, our moving, our acting, our speaking, whatever we're doing. And, but there's a lot going on below. There's a lot going on in the heart. And the scripture of the heart is this really huge place. Um, and there's a lot of activity. Now, the Holy Spirit's there. That's the HS, right? The Holy Spirit, if you're a believer today, is in there, and that is so good. Um, but there's, there's a lot going on in there, and sometimes you and I just blow a portal, <laughs> right? Um, so the Holy Spirit is, is not the only thing there. There's, there's other things. There's fears. There's anxieties. Um, there's loneliness, uh, there's past trauma, there's our habits of sin, and there are what we call our attachments, the things that our hearts are really attached to, again, for good or for ill. And if, we, if, we're, if we're poked in the right place, right, if, if the conditions are right, if there's just a little bit of trouble or someone speaks to us in a certain tone of voice or, or just enough kind of pressure, we blow a portal, <laughs> right? We leak. Uh, as I think I've said before to you, uh, you know, we don't normally wake up in the morning intending to sin, For instance, uh, we intend to do the opposite, but sometimes the conditions are just right and we just blow a portal. We leak on people Um, because there's something in our hearts. Um, So the heart is this big place, and and along with there, so there's all these other things along with the Holy Spirit that are down there. And, you know, it's almost like when we pray that prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, Um, you know, obviously we pray that prayer for the world. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done out there. But there's still actually territory to be recovered in us too. Right? We can pray that with regard to our own hearts. Because the Holy Spirit's there, but maybe not all of us have been completely saturated, all of us in our heart, with the love and truth of God. In fact, it's a lifelong journey for the heart to be fully saturated, fully saturated with the love and truth of God. So we've got these little pools of stuff in us that that we bring in. It's what the Scriptures call the old man, uh, the old part of us, the flesh, right? It's hanging out in there. And, of course, our lifelong calling is, as Christina prayed this morning, the men in the desert, we're going to talk about the desert too, would be purified in their hearts. She prayed that. A pure heart is something that is simply whole. It's a whole heart. And so, as, as also was said, we have fragmented lives... Yeah, we're a little fragmented, but the Holy Spirit's working. Because um, the heart is kind of where we really are at. And I just, um, I love um, Proverbs 27, 19, which says, As in water, face reflects face, so the heart of man reflects man. Um, and so if you could take your heart out and look at it, like looking in a pond, as in water, face reflects face. If you could take your heart out, you'd go, oh, look, that's me in all my mixedness. So the, the command, watch over your heart with all diligence, is say, you know, let's, let's know what's in our hearts because our lives are just going to flow from that. And so I want to talk a little bit about this morning and, and the special opportunity that trials bring to know our hearts. Um, so th- this is up here, and I am going to talk about trials, and I, I just want to describe to you what a trial is. And you're like, well, no one needs to describe me what a trial is. <laughs> we all know what trials are intuitively, but sometimes, sometimes people do repress kind of like, you know, especially the tough part of us, like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm doing okay. But I think it's helpful to actually describe to people what a trial is. Like, sometimes I'll be doing some pastoral care with someone, and, and uh, they'll be telling me about their life, and I go, you're in a really hard time. And they'll go, no, no, I'm okay, I'm okay. I'll go, no, you're in a really hard time. And they go, no, no, you're in a really tough." time. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, <laughs> you know. And, and so, and so they, there needs to be an acknowledgement because this is the place God wants to work. And if we don't kind of acknowledge that we're in a time of difficulty, it's very hard to invite God in there if we're like, no, I'm not, you know. So I want to talk about that and talk about what a trial is. And so I'm going to use this example. Like we all get up in the morning and uh, what gets us out of bed in the morning are the goods that we seek in our day. We all have various goods that we seek intuitively. Uh, that's what people do. That's what uh, humans do is we... We get up and we move toward our perception of the good life, right? It may be simply going to work. It may be that our work is engaging. And we get up and we go, I want to go to work. And if we don't want to go to work, it's like, I at least want to earn a paycheck, (laughs) right? So we we get up and we move toward things that we know are good. It could be that we're seeing someone that day, a relationship that we enjoy, someone for coffee or lunch. It's like we get up and we move toward relational goods. It could be that we, um, we're feeling healthy and we, and we look forward to exercising or a walk. Um, so you and I, we pursue many different kinds of goods, our vision of the good life, and that gets us out of bed in the morning. I mean, you really know clinical, pl- clinical cases of depression because people can't get out of bed. That's one of the first signs, like, can't get out of bed. Why is that? Because they can no longer imagine anything good in their life, Right? No, most of us aren't there. Most of us, thankfully, are actually, um, you know, moving towards certain goods in our lives. Um, so we all wake up seeking some kind of good. And what happens with a trial is a kind of, um, well, 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 the first thing is we, we love and desire and attach to the goods as we should. Uh, goods like health, right? We love feeling good. We desire feeling good. And we attach. To feeling good, as we should, as we should. So part of as we seek the good, we find this bundle of emotions, kind of locking us in, if you will, to the good. Um, now, not all goods are good goods. I would say health is a good good, but you know, to use my own example, you know, reputation is important to me in my work, and that's not a bad good at some level. That should be loved at some level, but sometimes it kind of moves too far up, and I overattach to my reputation. I, I desire it, I love it, and, 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 and my, my heart, just like a hand, grabs it and attaches to it. Um, so you and I have a number of attachments in our lives. You could be attached to um, your, um, uh, you know, being thought well of in other ways. You may attach to uh, getting Instagram uh, looks, you may attach to... Um, just an easy life <laughs> you may be attached to material goods you may be attached to many things um, and here's what a trial does a trial comes in like a cloud and suddenly we're not sure if we're going to get that good that we're so attached to now again with good goods it's normal that we would have some anxiety right a cloud comes in i don't know if i'm going to when i'm going to get to enjoy good health again So my vision of the good is now temporarily kind of blocked. Or we get passed over for promotion at work. It's like, uh uh-oh, I'm kind of attached to the extra money or the reputation. Uh, Or if we have a falling out with a friend, I'm kind of attached to being universally loved and (laughs) and admired and, oh, no. So I'm just simply trying to describe what I think many of us experience. And the way we know often we're in a trial is through anxiety. So when we're seeking some good and a cloud comes in and blocks it, then our anxiety goes up. Because the anxiety says, am I going to experience joy or grief? Am I going to realize the good or not? Or when am I going to realize the good? And often the anxiety is like a barometer of our attachment. You know, it's okay if you're just normally anxious, right? You know, Um, you got a favorite team in the NBA playoffs right now. This may not be my crowd for that. I don't know. But, um, uh, yeah, it's okay to go, I don't know if they're going to win or not, or or things like this, or I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, or my kid is doing this, I hope they have a good time tonight at this event they're going to. Normal anxiety, we don't know what's happening in the future, but we can often measure our attachment to something by when it's blocked temporarily, how high our anxiety is. And we may have cause to marvel and wonder, like, wow, my anxiety is really high. And that's what we should do. We should kind of observe it. We should kind of go, huh, I am really attached to this thing. And like I said, it's normal to be attached to some things like health. That's normal. But it could be really uh, an observation that, um, like, huh, I am kind of over-attached <laughs> to my reputation. I am over-attached to my standing, I am over-attached to my politics, I am over-attached to whatever. And so that is the beginning of kind of looking into our hearts. Because what the attachment is, is our treasure. So you remember Matthew 6.21, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The really unique opportunity as a trial is it shows us what we treasure. (laughs) It shows us what is in our heart. And I want to say that's so good. Like, even though a trial can be hard, it's like, look at that. Look at me. Look at what I treasure. And it's an opportunity to take it to God and go, God, is this the right amount of treasuring? Is this about right? Should I love this about this much? And so trials have this unique ability to kind of excavate what's in our hearts. Other times, we won't notice. When life is great, we don't really notice what's in our heart. There's no reason to. When life is hard, hard, suddenly, whoa, the material comes up. The spring comes up, and we go, wow, I really treasure this. And this is a great time to have a conversation with God about, do I love this too much? St. Augustine has this nice idea of the order of loves. Yeah, and of course, we know what the top two are. Love of God, love of neighbor. And then we have all these other things that we should love in life, because life is wonderful. I mean, caramel macchiato is somewhere in there. (laughs) You know, it's somewhere, it's, you know, I think it's further down, but it's somewhere in there. We should love that to some degree. You know, I went to Pete's coffee yesterday, which is near me, and their credit card machine was not working. Cash only. I don't carry that much cash. $3.60. I don't carry (laughs) $3.60. Dang it! Good cloud grief. Now, there's a certain amount of dang it that's okay. No, oh, dang it. But, you know, if I swear in my heart, huh, that's interesting. Oh, God, my attachment. Wow, interesting. So the, the heart has a... The, Charles had this unique ability to excavate what is in the depths of our heart. And we want to open to that because, Lord, what, I want you to bring love and truth. I want the Holy Spirit to expand into those places in my heart where my treasures are i uh, make sure I'm loving things in the right way, treasuring things, attaching to things in the right way. So I've said that, but now I actually want to talk about a particular kind of trial that sometimes doesn't get talked about much, and that Christians experience. And it's going to be the trial of what we're going to call dryness in our faith. You know, the men are out in the desert, and that's a good metaphor. There might be times in a Christian life uh, even for people of earnest faith, where they experience some dryness in their relationship to God, in their relationship to faith. And I'm going to talk in a minute a little bit about what that looks like. But, you know, this is something that occurs and it is felt as a trial. It's like, Lord, I want to experience the good things, the good pleasures of faith, the good pleasures of you. And sometimes it's, it's been noticed in discipleship and the Christian life over time that there are times of real dryness. Sometimes it's given the name Dark Night of the Soul. Um, that can be a very particular experience. But I think what we can all relate to, maybe, is certain periods when our joy in our faith or our joy in God... Um, seems to be going through a kind of desert. And that's a kind of trial. And what I want to say to you this morning is, this may be a work God is doing. This may be a particular kind of trial He is bringing, and He is doing something in you. It is not something to be feared. It's something to be opened to. And so I want to talk about that particular trial this morning. But again, I want to give you some testimony to this uh, particular trial because, again, it's been noticed over the centuries of discipleship that this sometimes occurs even or especially among rather mature Christians. I take this from Gerard Manley Hopkins, the 19th century British poet. My PhD is in English literature, so you know you're always going to get a poem from me at some point. Um, Gerard Manley Hopkins, a a, a Jesuit priest, and he's English, but he was in Ireland at the time. He has these sonnets, some of them called the dark sonnets. And he writes this in part, Oh, what black hours we have spent this night. What sights you heart saw. So he's kind of talking to his heart. Just like you heard in Psalm 42, you know, Oh soul, why are you so discouraged? He's talking to his soul. He said, wow, what black hours. He, he's waking up in the middle of the night and, and his heart is um, struggling. What sights you heart saw, what ways you went, and more must in yet longer light's delay. He's awake now, and he's waiting for, for dawn to come, and he thinks, okay, we're going to be here a while. With witness I speak this, but where I say hours, I mean years, I mean life. Apparently he's been going through this, not just tonight, for a while. And my lament is cries countless, cries like dead letters sent to him, to dearest him that lives, alas away. Some of you may have had times in your life, uh, longer times, where you feel like you're praying to the ceiling, like, like cries, like dead letters sent to someone who's not there. This kind of felt absence of God, and I'm going to say felt absence because throughout the sermon, here's the truth. God is always already here. God is always already here. It's a metaphysical fact if you're a Christian. It's just true. Ah, but there can be periods of a felt absence, not an actual absence. It's like just a felt absence. In 2007, when Mother Teresa of Calcutta released her diaries, many people were shocked that she had regularly experienced a dark night or periods of dryness. And she writes this at one point. The place of God in my soul, or the pain within is so great. Please ask Our Lady to be my mother in this darkness. The place of God in my soul is blank. There is no God in me. In the darkness, Lord my God, who am I that you should forsake me? Now again, I think Mother Teresa's theology was good enough where she knew he's here. Ah, but she's emoting or expressing this... Felt absence. This is Mother Teresa, right, who sustained a relationship with the Lord in very difficult conditions in Calcutta and served him faithfully. Do you not think she was mature? I think she was mature. Ah, but even for mature people, there can be these seasons of like, where are you? Where are you? And again, we see this in many Psalms. So, Psalm 88 My soul is full of troubles. And my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. Well, fully 50 of the 150 psalms, by the way, are lament psalms, right? And sometimes we forget that this was in their hymn book, right? We're told the choir master, Heman, in your note, edited note on this, uh, in your Bibles, picked this song specially. It's like people should sing this. Like if you're a contemporary worship pastor and you choose a song, you're going to be fired. <laughs> right? This is not. Uh, but no, it, the, for the for the Israelites, it's like, you know, this is sometimes how life is going to feel. So let's make sure and sing this from time to time. And people may not be in that place. I hope you're not in this place necessarily. And it's a trial, it's a difficulty. I hope I don't hope you're in. But but you may hit this from time to time. And so, yeah, Here's the vocabulary, don't be shocked, don't be panicked, you've already sung this a hundred times, it can happen, but what is God doing? So I want to talk about what do we do when God feels absence, how do we cooperate if this is in fact a work of God? Because remember Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good for those who want to become more like Jesus all things work together. So for good. So I want to ask the question this morning, what do we do in times of dryness? What do we do when we feel like we're in a little bit of a desert? Um, and I want to use this kind of graph um, here to kind of, you know, explain to you what the rhythm of this can sometimes feel like. Again, spiritual directors who over the centuries, directed thousands of people, discipled thousands of people, they would notice a particular pattern or patterns in the life of a disciple. And one they would call kind of periods of consolation, uh, which really is a period where, wow, God's presence, like he is here, man. He is like present. And again, we know that metaphysically, that is to say it's the truth, but we feel it too. It's like, wow, God is so present. Um, And some of the signs of this might be like, you know, the scriptures are really alive to us. Like we open the scriptures and it's like, oh my gosh, this is true. And we're not just making a a detached observation. It's like, "I, I love this. I love this. And I hope you all regularly go through periods where the scriptures just pop. Like, oh my gosh, this is so true. Uh, you might uh, feel this consolation or sense of presence in worship, musical worship. It's like, yes, like, I just feel like putting my arms up. Like, yes, Lord. Um, that's sometimes how we experience. It could be that you experience um, the church as just, people are so wonderful. <laughs> people are so, like, oh my gosh, all these people moving in the same direction, so wonderful, so good. Um... It could be that God has really involved you in a ministry, and it's like, wow, I'm really being used by God. He is really using me, and and there's fruit. And it could be your prayers are being answered. I mean, all these things like, wow, God is here. And it's so encouraging. The spiritual disciplines are things you want to do, right? So this is so good. And what God is doing in these times of real consolation is He's bonding you to these good things. He's bonding you to Scripture. It's so good. Bonding you to the church. Ah, oh, so great. Bonding you to ministry. Oh, so good. So God has a real purpose in these times of heavy consolation, of heavy felt presence, and it's so good. And if you're experiencing this in one or more areas, just thank God. Oh, Lord, thank you that the Scriptures are so alive to me and that worship and music is so alive and the church is so great and et cetera, et cetera. You know, it's really kind of like Psalm 1, right, that was I referred to earlier, you know. Uh, this is kind of the song of someone who is like... Sensing that all is right with the world, God is present. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the in the way with sinners, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on His law he meditates day and night. I mean, that's consolation. I delight in the Lord, and I so much that I meditate on His law day and night. You know, if you if you like want to be real like student of theology, you should like learn Greek and Hebrew in these times, because like. That's hard, but oh, my gosh, I love this. So that's the only way you're going to get through Greek and Hebrew. Um, you know, you've know, got to be in a period of consolation it's like because <laughs> it is not easy. And it's like, you know. So, yeah, his delight is in the law of the Lord. Uh, and, and as we referred to earlier, the person's like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, remember, in the desert, who, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, wither, whatever they do, prosper. It's like, oh, my gosh, whatever I do, I prosper. <laughs> it's like, oh, my gosh. God is really blessing everything. God and I are one. You know, it's kind of like, the, it's kind of like uh, romantic relationships, you know, um, where it's like, you know, the first three months of dating, at least this was my pattern, um, first three months of dating, it's, you're dating this person, and they think you're great, <laughs> and, <laughs> and you think they're great, and you're like one, like everything they want, you want, you want, they want. You want to go to the restaurant? I love that restaurant! <laughs> Do you like dogs? Yes, cavapoos. I love cavapoos. Whatever, you know, it's like this person feels one. And that lasts, for me, that lasted about three months. And then it was like one day, hey, where do you want to go eat? And they say something, and I go, you're a different person. (laughs) You are a different person. Um, And then we have to make a decision. We have to make a decision about, do I want to be in love with being in love? Or do I want to love a person that's different from me? And you're, I mean, you can make that decision if you're just dating, right? But at least know that's the difference. Because, you know, being in love with being in love is, I love the stuff that comes with being in love. I love the dinners and the shopping and the going places and the long phone calls or whatever. You know, I love, those, I love being in love. But there comes a point where you have to ask yourself, do I love a person? And I want to suggest to you that in times of dryness, what God is doing, he says, you know, these, all these other things you've been bonding to, so good. All the things of me, the Bible and church and ministry, so good. But at some point, he's going to say, I think you're ready for another step. I think you're ready to deepen your love for me, not just the things of me. And so maybe this is what the dryness is for. And you may know that you're entering a period of dryness because, again, Ah, scriptures aren't popping like they used to. Worship isn't as, like, you know, inspiring as it used to be. Um, God is not answering my prayers. Like, I thought you and I were one, you know, same restaurant kind of thing. Hmm, he is a different person. <laughs> he has an independent will. Hmm. I, a student came to me. Uh, again, I work at university. Uh, I passed our 4,000 students that's not possible. Um, and, uh, but occasionally, they come to me, and uh, a student came to me and said, you know, Dr. Pickett, he was a sophomore, Dr. Pickett, um, you know, I think, I think uh, I'm, I don't think my spiritual life's very healthy. I said, oh, really? So why do you think that? And he goes, well, you know, for instance, when I read the scriptures, I just don't get the insights that I used to. It's not as exciting. Now, remember, he's a sophomore, so he came the year before as a freshman, and he enters into Biola, and it's like, we have great Bible professors, and it's like, it's like, you know, drinking from a fire hose, you know, it's like, wow, everything's great, the scriptures are popping, he's learning so much. Now he's like, yeah, it's not as exciting. And And his first thought was, something's wrong with me. I need to up my game, I need to fix this. Um... And so I do the normal checks, like, you know, Dr. Wood. I'm a doctor, <laughs> just not the good kind. Um, uh, you know, I kind of do normal health checks, like, well, you know, are you still reading the Word? He goes, yeah, no, I'm still reading the Word, I do. Are you kind of staying in the body in the church? Because yeah, I'm still on the... um, Are you sinning any more than usual? He goes, no, about the same amount. <laughs> so it became clear to me that, you know, he, he was not backsliding. He was an earnest Christian. That's why we're even meeting, right? He wanted to come and, and fix this because he'd lost that loving feeling, I guess, in the words of, I'm forgetting who. Um, and, and, and so I said to him, you know, I think maybe God's doing something here. Don't panic. See, he was measuring his faith by his, if you will, spiritual adrenaline, um, as, as many of us sometimes do. Like, maybe my maturity you know, is indicated by how thrilled I am all the time, how, how adrenalized, how, how exciting it is. Um, but you know, you know what the signs of maturity are? I think you do. Love, <laughs> humility, <laughs> patience, kindness. <laughs> These are actually the marks of humility, not necessarily all the time what we feel. And I'm a big emotions guy, so I'm pro-emotion. Um, uh, because actually I think emotions can tell us what's in our heart, as I, as I said before. Um, but sometimes God is doing something else, and just because our, we're going through a little period of dryness doesn't mean, for instance, we're immature. Because a lot of people say, I just want to go back now to when I was a young Christian, these times of, of consolation. Um, I don't think this takes me back. Oh, it does. Look at that. Um, I want to go back to these times of consolation. Uh, and so they're always trying to figure out, how do, I, how do I get back to that place when I was a younger Christian and I was like, you know. But maybe God has something else for you. Now, he's going to return consolation to you. But maybe there's a window here of opportunity. Um, and so it's almost like in this period, God is, and the, and the little line here is really our emotions, not our maturity, God is allowing a little time when he's pulling back like a soundboard. You know, you guys know what soundboards look like with all the controls. He's like pulling back the pleasures a little bit of these other things. He goes, I'm glad you're attached to my word, but, you know, let's, let's, let's pull back this a little bit. And what we begin to discover is, is you know, I want God. <laughs> Scriptures are awesome and and, and church is great, and ministry is great, but sometimes we go through a period where it's like, now the pleasures are pulled back a little bit. Even sometimes in our ministry, we discover, wow, I'm pretty ego-driven. <laughs> like, that's what I discovered. I discovered, like, wow, I'm, a lot of my excitement for ministry was Todd's being the center of attention. But once you discover that, it's kind of like, <laughs> you know, that's not, that's not so pleasurable anymore to know that motivates me. Now, do, I don't stop being involved in ministry, But then God pulls these pleasures back, so we want something even more. And what is it? We want God. We want God. And so we get to Psalm 42, finally. As the deer pants for streams of water, my soul pants for you, my God. Yeah, there's all these other good gifts, all these other good things of God, but now I'm in a place where these are kind of dialed back. You know, I just want you. My soul thirsts for God. For the living God, where can I go and meet him? Well, you know, he's always right here. But I'm I'm looking, I'm seeking him again. My tears have been my food day and night. Again, we think of Hopkins or or Mother Teresa or Psalm 88. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? See, because there's a possibility that in all of the good things of faith, as Paul wrote to Ephesians in chapter 2, verse 15, you know, I only have this against you, people of Ephesus, you've lost your first love. You're doing great stuff. You're doing great stuff. Ah, oh, but your first love, me, that, that's that's gotten lost a little bit. And so, in times of dryness, sometimes God's putting His arm around us and say, "Don't panic, I'm right here." But I'm gonna I'm gonna now draw down some of those other stuff, and I'm gonna let's just walk into a little more of the next period of your of next season. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create a situation in which you long for me. I'm always here, but in which you long for me. It seems like the psalmist of 131 kind of went through something like this. He says, Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. A lifted up heart or, or eyes that are raised too high are kind of very ambitious images. You know? And maybe, maybe a lot of us are spiritually ambitious. You know, we kind of want to become this great person or, um, and it's kind of a mixed bag, right? It needs to be purified, right? We talked about the heart needs to be purified a little bit. And now he's like, you know, I don't anymore occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Maybe he was going to figure everything out, (laughs) you know, but but he had had kind of personal uh, um, ambitions for his own spiritual life uh, that may have been mixed with some ego. But he says, you know what I've done now? I've calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Oh, wow, that's lovely. And you know, what is a weaned child? You know, what's an unweaned child? Unweaned child, it's all about the milk, right? It's all about the milk. Milk, where can I get milk? Um, in other words, it's all about what it can get from the mother. The things of the mother. But he says, now, you know, I would just want the mother. <laughs> I've come to quiet my soul like a weaned child with its mother. What is a weaned child with its mother? It's just with its mother. And the things of the mother are still great. And it's still okay to think the, to seek the things of the mother. It's still okay to seek all the gifts that God gives. Ah, but what could be the foundation of my life? Ah, like a weaned child with its mother. So again, how might you know, other than that, that you're in kind of this period of dryness, other than kind of the, the pleasures drying down a little bit? Um, well, one of them is that suddenly you feel yourself a lot, right? You feel yourself a lot. So if, if again, uh, the pleasures are, are, are not as distracting. You know, with pleasures, we're distracted from ourselves because everything's great. We're wonderful. People are wonderful. Um, and so you don't need to think about yourself. You don't even see yourself, really, because everything's great. I'm great, according to this person I've been dating for three months. Like, oh, I'm great. <laughs> ah, but sometimes when these pleasures recede, we're just kind of left with ourselves. It's like, I'm feeling me a lot. I'm feeling me. Um, we see this later on in the Hopkins poem. I am gall. I am heartburn. God's most deep decree bitter would have me taste. My taste was me. So sometimes in a, in, a, in a period of dryness, we're like, man, I am not so great. I am not so great. And you know what? Guess what? You're more mature than you were last year. You're more mature than you were two years ago. You're more than five years ago. Here's unfortunately the bad news. As we grow, we see our sin more. Can I get some head nods? Yeah, okay. Thank you. From Folks that are older. Yeah, as we grow, it doesn't mean you're worse than you were five years ago. It's not. So you need to resist that temptation to go, I suck, right? Um, Can I say that in here? You need to resist that temptation because it's not true. You are more mature than you were five years ago, but, oh my gosh, Lord, I still need you. I still need your forgiveness. I still need your salvation. So in periods of dryness, it's like, oh my gosh, I just feel me. I just feel like. I don't like it. My taste, the taste of me is bitter. Well, you know, again, what I want to say is no condemnation, as Romans 8 1 says, good information. God's got his arm around you saying, hey, you can handle the truth. Or Jack Nicholson's there too. You can handle the truth, right? <laughs> Movie reference for those of us who are older. You can handle the truth, right? You're forgiven. So you can see a little more of yourself. So that's something a dark night or dryness is good for. I'm going to show you a little more yourself. It's okay. It's okay. Um, but don't panic. I'm right here. Because what God is doing is He's shaping our desires in our deep. Now we're like that Psalm uh, 42 psalm. It's like, "Oh Lord, I want you. I want even my salvation more, which is not your justification. It is your healing, your wholeness. And you know when people have been through this, you know what? You know what Their chief mark is, It's humility. It's humility. They're like, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not the greatest. But this doesn't now throw me into a panic or throw me into activity to, to just make this amazing self. I, I'm forgiven. I'm loved. And I want God. And that'll shape your deep. That will continue to shape you. But these people have kind of a peaceful humility about them. So this is what may be happening in a period of dryness. And it's all good. God is reattaching you to him. He's showing you yourself. Because he wants, in the end, for this to be based on faith. Um, you know, I think we kind of hear this even in these 1 John 2, 12-13 passage which almost is a kind of developmental spirituality. John 2 says, you know, I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven. Right? So when we come to faith, it's like, oh, my gosh, my sins are forgiven. God has a place for me. He has a church for me. It's like, oh, it's so good. And again, I hope everyone has had this early experience in their faith of, of just everything's so good because it disciples you to the Word and to people. And, and so he says, uh, John says, I'm writing to you. You know, John the pastor, right, the longest living apostle. Like He's a pastor on Patmos. He's like, I just, you know, I've seen this, he says. I just, I write to you who are in periods of consolation. That is so good. And if you're in a period of tremendous consolation, I oh, just thank God. Oh, Lord, thank you. This is so good. What a gift. And then he says, um, well, toward the end of 13, he says, I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Well, yeah, he's writing to people who have moved into a kind of period of temptation because dryness can be a temptation. It can be like, maybe God isn't there at all. Maybe God doesn't love me. See, Satan will want to attack you in a period of dryness. Maybe God doesn't love you. Maybe he's not in control of things. Ah, well, no, I'm writing to you, young men, who are, who have, who are overcoming the evil one. And then he says, I'm finally writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. It's like, yeah, fathers, older people are like, yeah, there's been times when I've really been flushed with the presence of God. I've had seasons of dryness, and then seasons of really a sense of His presence, but, you know, I've kind of, it's been like this, and I've seen tragedies and, and good times, And but I've known, I now have known God from a long time, and even I've, I know the Scriptures, I know God from Genesis, so to speak, and, you know, He's always there. No matter what I'm experiencing, no matter where that emotional vectors go, you know, the. What, they're, what they've developed is, I know God from the beginning. What do they know? He's present. He loves us. He's going to work out his purposes. That is faith. And so what a period of dryness does for us, it's not we're entirely devoid of feeling. It's like, it's like I feel the ground. I always feel ground. Now, ground's not especially exciting, right? But if you didn't have the ground, that'd be a bummer. Free fall. That's not a good feeling but it's like, hug the ground. That's a feeling. I'm held. I'm upheld. And whatever I walk into, I know God who is from the beginning. See, this is what a period of dryness can do for us. And so I want to pray for you this morning um, and maybe using this prayer from Tom Merton for those of you who may be in a period of dryness or who may in the future be in one, not to panic, But Merton prays, my Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. (laughs) I have no idea what's next. I do not see the road ahead of me, and I don't know for certain where it will end. But I believe the desire to please you, which remember just means presenting yourself to God in worship, does in fact please you. Just my ability to say, God, here I am, wherever I'm at in whatever season. And I hope that I have that desire in all that I am doing. And I know if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, I will trust you always, though I seem to be lost and in the shadow of death. For I will not fear for you are ever with me. You will not leave me to face my perils alone. I'm going to invite the worship team back up. Um, they're going to start with a song, uh, just a song that's uh, draw me close. You're all I want is part of the chorus. Um, well, you know, we always sing these worship songs. Worship songs are pretty aspirational. You're all I want. I mean, there's some mornings where I think, I don't know if I can, I don't know if that's true. <laughs> you know, I just don't know if that's true. <laughs> you're all I want. You know, that, that is Psalm 42. It's like, oh, I just want God. You know, this morning you're like, yeah, I kind of want God, but you know, I want love other things just as much, you know. So wherever you're at, just sing you're all I want. That may or may not be entirely true of you this morning. So, you may have a little prayer in between that line and the next one. You're all I want. Oh, Lord, help me want you more.
0: <laughs> Maybe so.